Now please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. Beloved, now please open your Bibles to Matthew 27. I know most of us have electronic uh, devices, smartphones and all that that, <clears throat> that have software. Uh, there is value to having the printed Word. Uh, first of all, it's been mostly uh, the way that uh, the church has been helped through so many generations. And, you know, you can look backwards. You can look in the context of what's being preached. You can look forward. Uh, and uh, I think in every way we need to look backwards and we can look forwards uh, in every sermon uh, because uh, it is one word. And especially today, we might be confounded at our passage if we don't remember what has come previous. And uh, we might be in despair if we don't look forward uh, to that glorious resurrection of our Lord. So uh, our text will be verses 11 through 26. Matthew 27, verses 11 through 26. You know there are 28 chapters in Matthew. We're nearing the end of the Gospel of Matthew. And it's a glorious Gospel. We pray, Lord, that... Uh, you would make your word glorious. Let's pray. Now, Lord, abide with your church as we read. We thank you that your spirit shines its, your light on, on these, these very words that you have given your servant, Matthew. And we pray that we would relish them, that we would understand them, that we would store them in our heart. And, Lord, that uh, your word would be powerful to bring forth fruit, love and joy and peace, fellowship in the Holy Spirit. I pray this for all of us, Lord. Do this by your strength. Do it for your own name's sake. We beg of you in Jesus. Amen. Matthew 26, uh, 27, verses uh, 11 and following. Now Jesus stood before the governor. The governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, you have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you? Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, saying, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, Which of you two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said, 
let him be crucified. And he said, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, his blood be on us and on our children. Then he released them for forever. Then he released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Thus far reading of God's holy, infallible, and inerrant word. Beloved, all friends, uh, all flesh is as grass, and its beauty is as the flower of the field. The grass withers, and its flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. And this is the word that was just read to you, and by God's help it will be preached. Please have a seat. Those of you who have had children, infants, know <clears throat> how fascinated they are with patterns that are of stark contrast. White, black, zebras, pandas, you know? The, the kids, they, that's the first thing they are able to relate to. Not the form of the object itself. They're not looking at panda. They're not looking at zebra. They are fascinated with white and black. It does something to their brains, we're told. The gospel does the same thing to us. When we read this book, we see the brightest possible hue of white. And in this passage, we begin to see the darkest stain of black. How do we get here? What has led us to Matthew 27, verses 11 through 26? Well, my friends, the light came by the incarnation of Jesus as he was born of the Virgin Mary. <clears throat> took to himself the Christ, who was the second person in the Trinity, took himself a true body and a reasonable soul. And he was conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost and born of the Virgin, and yet not without sin, not, not with sin, just sinlessness. <laughs> light came into the world. And that light absolutely required our fallen race to repent. And that has been the message of all the prophets, and especially in the Gospel of Matthew, John, John the Baptist at the Jordan, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. The Lamb of God it takes away the sin of the world. Look, behold. Every way, every path must be cleared. Every mountain and hill will be made plain. Every valley will be exalted. God is going to do a powerful work. Make ready. Some and many believed, and they were coming, confessing their sins at the Jordan. Others, no, saw no need for repentance. Which brings us to Matthew 27. These leaders saw no need for repentance. These leaders saw the light that came into the world. But as John in his chapter 3 tells us, they, they loved their darkness 
rather than light. And they would not come to the light for their deeds were evil. But all who want to give God the glory and announce that they're coming to the light is by the grace wrought in them by God. They come to the light. This is a strong contrast, my friends, between the presentation of the only man among us that has ever been truly innocent since the fall, and the rest of us who are playing with shadows in, in religious rites and ceremonies and even handling the scriptures and not really understanding them savingly. And it answers the question, my friends, how is it that religion can be such a putrid thing? How is it that religions have been the cause of most major wars? And we find in here that the, the reason. The reason is that the best things in the world, that is to say the scriptures and the prophets, that is to say the ordinances of God, once they are twisted and not really received savingly, they, those best things that God has given us become the worst things. They become engines of hell. And that's what we have here. We have a stark contrast. And I think even baby Christians should be able to see this. It's black and white. Let me just say, and I, it's tough, it's, I struggle with, I don't even know if I can condense this into one major proposition, but I, I just gave you an introduction. Maybe that's the best way to, to say it. My notes have other words, but I, I want to say that the stark contrast between Jesus, the Lamb of God, the innocent one, the only pure, the only pure soul, the lovely God-man, versus the best that religion could do in its day in the world, apart from the, the grace of God in Christ. But I would say, I'll take a, swi a, a swipe at the, at the teaching and say this, that Jesus, who is the innocent, lovely, uh, pure, spotless Lamb of God, suffered injustice most meekly. He suffered most, and cruelly, he, cruel injustice, he suffered it meekly and, and quietly. He endured these things, but these wicked men, unregenerate, love not the light of God, not, not the righteousness of God, not, not the meekness and the goodness of God, but they love darkness rather than light. And these wicked men will compromise not only their religion, but their own conscience and extinguish Jesus' testimony by any and all means. Uh, it, that's too long a proposition. I'm not going to read it again. It's, clum it's clumsy and clunky. You can take my, my sermon note. But uh, that's the best I could do. I, it's a complicated passage. But I want to have three points here, and that I want to mention this. That Jesus suffered amazingly, meekly, uh, and, and quietly. He suffered silently, peacefully, when he was unjustly condemned. Now, Jesus was delivered to Pilate uh, for sentencing. They had already brought their charges. Pilate interrogated them, Jesus here, and this was a trial. This was, this was a, a court. And his, his question, <laughs> you need to thank him. We should be grateful he asked this question. Are you then the king of the Jews? Are you? Are you the king of the Jews? Isn't this the question still today? 
what in the world is happening in that corner of the world but the answer to this question? What is this nation, this kingless nation? Who are these kingless people that have, prom that have been promised a great and glorious king, a descendant of David? What, what is going on with these people? Are you the king of the Jews, asked Pilate. Jesus affirmed it. He says, it's as you say. And then the, king, the, the chief priests and the elders, again, these are rulers because there is no king. These are rulers in the vacuum or in the vacuum made by the lapsed house of David and, uh, and the, 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 the priests that had assumed the leadership where there was uh, an absence of leadership. The elders could preside in synagogues, but as far as, as far as a nation, it was to be a king, but he and that throne is in, uh, has dilapidated, and it will be restored at the resurrection of Jesus to the right hand of God. He is that son of David is to rule. Chief priests and elders presented, not sentencing, the, the scepter had departed from Judah. They, would not, they could not hold trial and uh, sentence and uh, execute. So they presented their testimony of accusations. And they really, they only had one charge. If, if you want to boil it down, and only one was needed for us to understand the bitter, bitter hatred of these wicked, unrepentant, but religious men. They only had one charge, blasphemy. The charge was blasphemy. At saying what? That he was the son of God. Now, let me just say this, that these chief priests and scribes and elders, they understood something that many who handle the scriptures in church history do not understand, that Jesus was truly saying that he was divine. This is blasphemy. The Holy Spirit wants us to understand that this is clearly the teaching of, Jesus, of the scriptures, that Christ is the divine Son of God. And many people try to uh, bury that truth and, or to explain it away. But this is what nailed him to the cross. Blasphemy. If, of course, he had been wrong, he would have been guilty. But if he had been right, every knee should bow, every tongue should confess that he's Lord. Jesus, however, to that charge, did not give a reply, not one word. Do you not think that's strange? Do you think that this is normal for a person who is about to be executed publicly and tortured? No. This is amazing. So Pilate, of course, was astonished. He, Pilate was a jaw-dropping, what? Because Jesus did not defend himself and said nothing. By the way, don't try this in a court. Okay? If you have a right to your defense, and it's not ungodly to defend yourself, you are, to, you are to promote your own life and the life of others justly. But Jesus had abdicated. Jesus had forfeited that because of his contract with the Father, that he would be the sin bearer, that he would give his life for, for many, that he was the substitute, that he was the lamb, and that he would die in our place. He forfeited his life freely. That's why it's just for Jesus to give up his life like this. Otherwise, my friends, if you're innocent, Please don't, please. I beg of you, I beg of you, my friends, offer a just defense, but not Jesus. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. 
Pilate, being experienced of these things at rendering justice, was, was amazed. He, he'd, he'd seen these cases before. Lots of people. He, those Romans executed a lot of people. And wicked people do not have the self-control to govern their mouths and say nothing. They would do anything to escape execution and avoid death. But Jesus is that perfect Lamb of God that was prophesied 750 years before Christ, Isaiah 53. Jesus is, had done no violence, quote-unquote, neither was deceit found in his mouth. He's that perfect Lamb of God. We need to be astounded, my friends. We have not seen light like this. No. This is beyond the imagining of anything that we could think of as righteous. That a man should love his friends so much to give up his own life. And not, not only that, not to give up his life in terms of cease to live, but to take the punishment, the, the, the punitive, the penal sanctions, the curse, the wrath of God upon himself and, and, and suffer an infinity of hells for as many as he would represent before the Father. This is his peace, and this is a dreadful, and this is a wonderful will of God, and it unfolds before us as is decreed in Scripture. Jesus understood the Scriptures. The chief priests, scribes, and Pharisees did not understand the Scriptures. That's because Jesus is the prophet, and the Spirit of Christ is the Spirit of prophecy in all of Scriptures. Now, my friends, everything that happens is, of course, under the sovereign will of God. But everything that happens in the church has God's immediate attention. This is the state, this is center, this is front and center, this is the main event. And the big tent, this is the what do you call that? The center, the center circle. Or the circus. I, I say that not facetiously. Whatever the Lord does in his church, especially in his church, is no accident. All of these things were decreed of old. All these things are coming about. Jesus, and bowing his head there at Gethsemane, that will be done, knew that it would be hard for him, and he's enduring this mock trial. <coughs> Pardon me. <clears throat> We need to understand the workings of God are marvelous. We need to understand, especially as we come to the very end of this gospel, the importance of drawing near to God in, in repentance and in new obedience, and especially mortifying our pride, that mountain, that, that hill, that whatever pride you have, it must come down. And as we do so, my friends, he will exalt every valley. This is his servant, the Lord Jesus, who humbled himself beyond any humiliation that could ever be expressed by any human being. And yet the Lord takes this valley and will exalt him because he said, thy will be done. We, Jesus loses himself in the, in the will of the Father. That is glorious, and we all benefit. And when one is benefited in the church, all are benefited in the church. And when Christ, the head, is especially glorified, all members, 
are glorified. This is our beloved Jesus who suffered silently, meekly, when he was most unjustly tried and condemned. Second point. We note here that the fear of man, rather than the fear of God, if we had the fear of God, my friends, we would repent. We would, we would thank John the Baptist. I know it's hot out here, and these locusts don't taste very well. You know, I'm sure you're sick of honey by now. But thank you for coming out here. Thank you for being bold enough to correct Herod. All right? But the fear of man will have us not esteem God and his will, but will have us compromise that, that will and establish our own ends and our own purposes. We will compromise, and we will compromise righteousness. We will compromise justice, and this is what we see. We see the white, and we see the black, and it's very black. Pilate correctly then discerned. the. He's seeing some of this whiteness, you know? Pilate is a pagan, and he sees the, the whiteness in Jesus. He correctly discerns that Jesus was innocent. And in verse 23 of the same chapter, he would declare him innocent. Pilate wisely discerned. This is, this is he's, a, a Roman pagan governor is wiser than an apostate leader in the church. And that's why the Lord, uh, the Lord God in heaven has a state and a church in the world, because when the church goes putrid, it's the state that comes and visits and cleans house under God's lordship, of course. But Pilate wisely discerns that the Jews had delivered Jesus out of malice. He sees this out of envy. Envy is wishing people evil because they have something that you don't. You know, we can, uh, we can, uh, we can covet, but envy is more malicious than covetousness. Pilate then should have judged according to what he truly saw. The Holy Spirit sees all things and knows and reads our hearts and minds. And the Holy Spirit even reads the mind of God the Father. He, he, he the Spirit comprehends all things, and he has penned this for us to read because he discerned Pilate's heart. Pilate then should have judged according to his conscience. But, but Pilate knew that if he ruled according to conscience, according to, to, just, to justice, which his conscience, his, his conscience was completely consonant and agreeable to, to good justice, he knew that if he did that, he would lose favor with the Jewish nation. The Jews of that day were a vassal nation. They were outgunned, you might say but they were a tumultuous people. And they would lead riots and they, they would cause Rome trouble and that's where the show ended back in, 19, in, uh, in AD 70, all right? Read your history, read, uh, read, uh, <coughs> read the history of the, the Jews, Josephus. But above all, Rome, Rome hated, above all, insurrection. And the cruel power is what preserved the Pax Romana. 
Are they sure they had a Senate? And it's fine to argue ideas, but it was always, it was always the, the, the sword. It, it was always, it was always the justice of the courts. And uh, Pilate didn't want insurrection. He knew that Rome didn't want insurrection. This is an unpopular ruling that would cause Pilate much trouble as governor. Ah, it was a career-limiting decision, you know? If we, oh, come on now, if we, preach, if we preach the word of God truly and announce what's really here, people are going to be offended. Well, yeah, because we're still flesh and we're sinful flesh, and of course we're going to, these things are going to touch us. But we have nothing else for you besides the word of God here. And God help us if we should ever drift away from that. Pilate then tried to uh, apply a balm to his conscience. He, he, he tried to assuage his conscience in two ways. First of all, he offered the chief priests and elders a, a kind alternative, saving face, as the Japanese would say. Okay? This is good negotiation skills, guys. You could build a little business course, study, you know, Pilate's methods. Don't follow his example. But up to now, he's doing better than God's own covenanted people. And I learned something here. The chief priests and elders um, were, at that time, offered uh, the release of a, of a prisoner. And, and that was a token, uh, a gesture of kindness, uh, a pacifier, you might say, for the baby. And uh, that was offered to the chief priests as an alternative. They had an out. They, 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 could, get a, they could avoid a really embarrassing thing and uh, <coughs> release Jesus. And they also tried to assuage his conscience by symbolically washing his hands publicly. That doesn't do anything. It's superstitious. It was, it was a, what do you call it, a symbolic act by a leader in public, you know. You can see that people will remember. He doesn't, want to, he doesn't want anything to do with this. Unfortunately, my friends, God's providence has us in, in places in, in our work, in our school, in our family, in our communities. God has us in places in offices in our church where we have vowed we have vowed as members to keep the peace and to, and, and, uh, you know, to, to submit. We, we, are, we are bound. And Pilate sees himself in a situation and he's in a pinch. He'd like to get out from under the trial of the day. But my friends, it's not only Jesus who's in trial, it's now Pilate. And I should say, every one of us. Every one of us has to have, answer the question, what are we going to do with Jesus? What, what is this? What are we going to do? What do we got? Is this light? Or is this the deepest shade of black? What do we have with Jesus? Pilate's wife comes running. <coughs> Pardon me. And while they're deliberating, he warns him. He says, don't don't have anything to do. Do not have anything to do with this man. Let's, let's go home. Right now. There's trouble. I had a dream. And that man is just. And it was a frightening dream. Please leave him alone. Pilate had two strong witnesses to release Jesus. His conscience 
and his wife. And that was a valid spirit. That was a valid revelation from God. God is able to reveal things to us. And in those days, he certainly used dreams. Here's a point of application. I might just uh, say, you know, it was, it was a woman that first uh, <clears throat> led Adam to compromise. <laughs> Here, strangely, a woman is leading Pilate not to compromise. So, you know, men, you, you can listen to your wives. They're given as helpers. And here's a good example of a pagan wife, a queen, that's actually doing very good work. Uh, Pilate could have been spared a lot of torment. Men, listen to your wives. These are helpers. Women, please don't withhold counsel to your husbands. We've got some theologies out there that would want to squash women, make them less, <laughs> lower than doormats. That's not it. A learned woman in the scriptures, Lois, Timothy's grandmother, Aquila, Priscilla, they can be a huge gift and a sanctifying presence in the church. Just remember that. But Pilate ignored his two witnesses. And now he's, now, my friends, he's, he's on trial and he's doing rather badly because he's not listening to the evidence. He's not looking at what's in front of him. He's thinking, well, what if I do this? Then this will come about, and that is not good for me. And that's what happens. That's the course we take whenever we compromise. We don't say, as Jesus did at Gethsemane, thy will be done. Whatever outcome, I don't know. Maybe God has promised good for his people. God has promised good to his people. He's given us his word. We must obey his word. We must do his will. Come what may, we must obey his word. No compromise. That's the only thing we can do. But Pilate ignored his just witnesses. He chose to do the expedient thing. He was a pragmatist, like all politicians. It was for the greater good, wasn't it? Right? And justifies the mean? No, he wouldn't say that much, but it was for the greater good in the balances. More good will come of this. No good of itself will ever come out of us doing evil, except if God, who is almighty, can turn evil to good. But if he doesn't bless that evil, only evil comes of evil. And God does not just forgive sin hocus pocus. He requires repentance and turning to him and new obedience and dreadful fear of having sinned against him and perverting his name in justice. Look, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm amazed at how so many Christians walk through life and say, oh, God will forgive me. I'm going to, I'll do some atrocious, I'll lie here. It's convenient because the outcome will be better through, I'm going to help the church if I lie. At least it will keep people together. We're not going to split the church. Pilate ignored his, his witnesses. It, it was for the greater good, wasn't it? He had tried to help Jesus, but he, he minced sin. You see, you begin, to say, you begin to say, well, yeah, 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 you know, I, no, there's some, there's, there's evil here. And the sin, uh, this is bad. My conscience is this bad. But he minces it. But be that some good might be real. You can't mince sin. 
Sin is the evil of evils. Sin is the reason that Jesus is going to that wood and to the iron and to the thorns and to the spear and into the grave. You don't condone and you don't compromise light and darkness. He tried to help Jesus, but now he's excusing himself. And so he sentences Jesus to be crucified. And my friends, this is the trouble of being an authority. We have a crisis of authority today. We really do. Nobody believes the CDC. I mean, the director of CDC has made himself hundreds of millions of dollars in this venture, right? Who, who believes that, we, that, that our presidents now and current ha, have our, our greater interest in, in, in the wars that are being developed in finance and all this stuff? Come on. The American public is not so stupid. But all authorities here must be exemplary. They must demonstrate fatherly love. They must demonstrate self-denial. They must... <clears throat> demonstrate the fear of God. They must protect the well-being of God's people, the church, and the world. They cannot be self-seeking. They are not to compromise justice. Justice is to be blind in the scales at the courts. And that's a high charge, my friends, but that's the charge that God has for every man in his image. The ninth commandment, which we will, by God's help, preach tonight, deals with upholding truth, all truth at all times in every place. Come tonight, 5 p.m., we'll preach the Ninth Commandment. Pragmatism is seductive. There, there's an air of wisdom about it, but it's of the flesh. And the Lord tells us in Scripture, it's not by strength, it's not by might, it's not by cunning and scheming, it's by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is always agreeable to his word. When you are, when you are careful and exacting in the word of God, you, you, you are not being legalistic. You, you are being Christian. If you study the word of God with exactness and mean to keep his most holy and pure will, you're not a Pharisee. You're the opposite of a Pharisee. You judge rightly. The church and the world have it upside down. Not by strength, not by might, not by cunning is the kingdom advanced. And of course, if you fear man more than God, excuse me, <laughs> if you fear man more than God, if you're in this Christian walk for your advantage, for the benefits in this world, and not for the glory of God, You've got something that will trip you up every single time. This is a snare. It's a, it's a call for much prayer. It's a call for much repentance. You've got to die to self, and you've got to realize, am I going to follow Jesus? And if you can't do that, then don't play the hypocrite. Now, you may be deceived, and you have got other people here at church, elders. You've got uh, people that are more experienced to help you, brothers and sisters, be praying for you. You can ask the Lord for grace to forgive you if you trip up. But by all means, do not change the charter of the church, which is to glorify Christ, whether in life or in death, to seek him in his truth for comfort 
whether in good reputation or bad reputation. It's none of your business. You are a servant of God. And ministers just can't preach whatever they want. They must preach the word, the word of God pure and unadulterated. The last point of the sermon is that the heart of man is revealed here. The heart of exquisitely trained religious men. The heart of the best people. So much though, we read Pharisee, we say, ah, scoundrel, snake, forked tongue. But the Pharisee was renowned in his day for being separated and sanctified and holy. The high priest, the chief priest, were exquisitely so and ordained in all manner of ceremony to impress holiness. So much so that the disciples couldn't imagine what Jesus was saying, that unless your righteousness exceeds those of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall know by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. What? This is the 18. This is the best we got. What do you mean that we have to be holier than this? Yes, you do. Both by imputation, which is absolute in this life, your faith in Christ has you imputed absolute righteousness, perfect righteousness, so that God the Father embraces you as a true son, and he regards you as perfect in his sight, not by any merit of your own, but by the merit of his beloved son, Jesus, who obeyed him in every respect, all manner of, all manner of commandments, even unto death. That's an imputed righteousness. That's yours. It's real. It's not a, it's not a game. He's not going to bait and switch. You are forever justified. And then you're infused righteousness. And your infused righteousness, as you walk in the light, as you have the Holy Spirit, will, will lead you someplace different than this result here in Matthew 27. That, that imparted righteousness, that leading of the Holy Spirit, will have you love the light and eschew the darkness. It will not have you betraying the Lord Jesus and accusing him of blasphemy. There is a difference in this world between a Christian that has the Holy Spirit and an idolater who is given over to darkness, or even a, a professing Christian who is obviously apostate. There is a difference. There's a difference. The heart of man is desperately wicked. Jeremiah the prophet spoke of this. In Jeremiah 17, verse 9, Elder, Elder Hess read this. Do we believe it? The, the leaders didn't believe it. Even in Jehovah's covenanted religious leaders, the heart of man is desperately wicked. And no one understands it. The Jewish leaders have been given a second chance here by Pilate to drop all charges. They saw it. No, they're, they're going to continue in their stubborn, willful course. The Jewish leaders were irreconcilable. They would not be reconciled with this man of Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth. This is a blind and violent rage against God's innocent child, Jesus. They influenced them, the leaders did. They influenced the crowd. <laughs> influenced the crowd to call for Barabbas, a violent man, not the Prince of Peace. 
You know, the irony here is, is striking. You, you should read it if you know a little bit of Hebrew or Aramaic. Bar Abba means the son of the father in Aramaic. It's very, it bites. This irony bites. Because Jesus is the son of the father, not Bar Abbas. They did not fear to own the guilt of their perversity, even as a nation. And not only, not only would they be happy to take the guilt of their indecency, but they will plead that blood to be charged on them and their children in continuity. And my friends, read the newspapers, that's Palestine today. It sticks. The breaking of a covenant is serious business and it'll always draw blood. Now, don't you see the extreme irony? This is extreme irony. It's an unforgettable, it's an unforgettable gospel because in asking for the, for the blood of Jesus to be upon themselves and their children, they have the gospel. But you can utter these things in your mouth and not have it savingly applied to you. Because what they're meaning is, let his blood be, as it were, a washing of my own sin, which would have been the effect of receiving Christ as Messiah, the Lamb of God. The understanding of the very words of the letter of what they said means we'll take the hit. We affirm that he is guilty, and we will have him condemned. Words can have different intentions, even more when they're used exactly the same. And this is what they meant, and the Lord, the Spirit, knows the heart rather than the lips' words. And they, this nation, this nation, as represented in their covenanted religious leaders, was done. It was done. The heart of man is desperately wicked. We should, we should see this and shudder. Also, the wicked hearts rails. It rails against the light. It rails against the light. And it railed against Jesus because he is the light that came into the world. The Jewish leaders hated the light that Jesus brought. And this is the whole of chapter, uh, John chapter 3. You know, everyone says, this is the gospel. Believe in the Lord Jesus, you know. And you, you'll be saved, you, you know. Uh, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, John chapter 3, verse 15. Whoever believes on him will not, be, will not be condemned, will be saved. And yet, you've got to understand that that light that's come to the world, John chapter 3 says, men won't come to the light. They won't come because their, their deeds are evil. They don't want to be exposed. They hate the light. There's the contest, black and white, white and black. And Jesus was righteous. He was meek. He was kind. He was holy. He was blameless. All of his life proved this to date. His whole life had been a trial. And now he's brought to the extremity of this trial. And the sentencing goes wrong. The leaders will not see, still not see, the light. And they still do not see their need for repentance. This gospel is about to close. This chapter on this people is about to end. Now, wicked authorities love their own authority. Righteous authority respects authority because they have men under them and they, they know if I say this, yeah, they do that. If I say that, they do that. Reasonable authority upholds authority. Wicked authority abuses authority so that people under them just, wow, they lose respect. The leaders then could not bear 
being corrected by John the Baptist. The scribes and Pharisees hated, hated the imperative to repent. They hated the close scrutiny of Jesus' words on the Sermon on the Mount, the heart scrutiny. No, they wanted a topical, outward religion. They wanted something that they could conform to, eat this, touch this, swallow that. Nothing at all to do with heart religion. Leaders could not bear being corrected in their religion, and the leaders could not bear Jesus' witness against their sin. They, couldn't, they could not be corrected. They would not be rebuked. And sinners don't want to leave their sin. Oh, they'll... <laughs> Look, the irony is that, is that they really do love religion. As I say, every man, my friend, is religious. Every man has some, some classification of religion we could put them in. All schools of thought can be laid down on a table. Every single human being can be expressed more or less this, more or less that. But good religion, perverted, is the nastiest thing in the world. And that's what we have here. A corruption of the covenant of grace, abusively so. And they are set against the Lord and against his anointed. Because they love darkness. They love the black rather than the light. Let me conclude. Jesus, the, the spotless, the meek, the pure Lamb of God, suffered injustice meekly and, and quietly. But these wicked men love the darkness rather than the light. And they will compromise their own conscience and every evidence of the contrary and extinguish Jesus' testimony by any and all means, regardless of how unreasonable that is. My friends, we need to marvel how Jesus is so simple and how he bears up suffering. This is why we're here. He has endured us. He is forbearing with our sins week by week. He's our high priest. He's God. When we sin, we sin against Jesus. And yet he's very patient. Look how mild he is. He's, and, he's, and he's waiting for us to return to him. And that's called repentance. He wants to hear from us. And not only do we regard the, the, the naked commandments of the Ten of Moses, but we also say, we're Presbyterian, we're catechized, that any want, any lack of conformity onto this visage of God in a man, whatever we see, whatever we are, if we don't look like this, that's because we are in sin. Sin is any lack of conformity onto this excellence of an innocent man. It's a call for a confession of our sin. We need to confess sins in particular, but we also need to confess our sin as an, in nature. An, the nature of sin is upon us, and we lack the conformity of the sons of light. Even being justified by faith. Yeah, the Lord covers our sins, but he's also glorified when we confess that he saves sinners. So we gladly confess our sins. Have you sinned against your own conscience? Look, you're, you're, not, you're, not, you're grieving the Holy Spirit, but you're not hurting God, you're hurting yourself. You, you hurt yourself at the deepest level when you bruise conscience. And that's recorded for you in your conscience, and that will be played back at judgment on the great day when God comes to judge the world. You wound yourself. You weaken yourself. 
you corrupt yourself. Churches are corrupted. Nations are corrupted. The world goes askew because people sin against what they already know is light. That's our plight as sinners. We need to ask for God for forgiveness, especially when we sin against what we know to be wrong. And we know a lot to be wrong. Okay, And you glorify God when you do that. And you, and you again raise up Jesus and say, look, it was right that you, that you sent your beloved child to the cross to die because otherwise there would be no chance for me. I cannot possibly pay the debt that I owe you. But Jesus endures this mildly and meekly and wonderfully. And you're comforted by that. And that is your worship day by day before the Lord. My friends, this expression, his blood be upon us and our children, this is dreadful. Individuals, churches, nations, their children, they bear the burden of sinful guilt. And not only in one life, in generations. Apostatized from the gospel, you will kill more children, more of your descendants than you ever, unless they are brought back in the line of God's uh, family promises in the gospel, you, you have murdered unless they repent and believe. Are you unconvinced of the need of regeneration? Are you unconvinced that you, are, you have an evil heart? Look at the black-white. Look at the calls for repentance. Look at what happens to the natural end when you do not repent. In your closing of the Matthew's, Matthew's Gospel, this is what happens. Listen to God speaking to you in, in this passage. Listen, meditate on this text. You must be convinced that you must be born again. It's not a matter of, I'll try to better. That doesn't, that doesn't count anything for God. Trying has to do with the, with the legal statutes of the moral law, but you're dead to the law in Christ. You are alive to God because of Jesus' resurrection and His righteousness. It's not a matter of trying. It's a matter of receiving Christ and resting on Him for, for, uh, for salvation and then uh, following Him as He gives you His Holy Spirit. That's the Christian. You must be born again because flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. My friends, Jesus is incomparable. The more we understand what this text and what the Bible in general is saying about what God, what it means for God to be a holy God, the more we will esteem Christ, the Son of God, and esteeming Him, love Him, receive Him, and worship Him, as Jesus is condemned by the world, but adored in the church. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this passage, for speaking to us. We pray that we would see the fruit of it in our lives and that you would receive doxology and right worship. And Lord, that when you return, you will see, you will see the reward for the, the agony of your sufferings. That you would have a church, that you would have a bride, that she would be spotless and blameless and that she would adore you. Do this, Lord, for your own name's sake, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's have an offering, please.